you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, we are back and we are concluding and wrapping up our Father's Day, our prodigal series on Father's Day with just one of the most inspirational men in my life. And uh, he he has played a pivotal role in the life of the Movement Church. Uh, He and his wife sit on the board of overseers here, which means that they have the ability to fire me. That's some good authority right there. And uh, But really, they just give encouragement and they uh, inspire us, but they also bring great wisdom and insight. We don't make big decisions without consulting with them first. And as many of you know, about five years ago, my dad passed away and this uh, gentleman has played a great role, like a father figure in my life. And I just thought, how appropriate would it be on Father's Day to bring in just a great leader here in California, across the country, around the world, but also for the Movement Church. You are very familiar with him and his wife. Would you do me a favor, right where you're seated, would you give a round of applause for my pastor, Philip Wagner. Come on. Well, thank you very much. And um, it, it's an honor to be here at Movement Church. And uh, as you just heard, uh, Carrie and Megan mean a lot to me, and, and I respect them greatly. So it's an honor to be here. And so uh, I want to say Happy Father's Day to those of you um, that are fathers and dads listening here. And it's a um, very special day for us to be um, just putting a focus on dads. And um, I think that some of our expectations of our earthly fathers are, uh, are reasonable, but I do think some of them are just unreasonable. I think we probably expect more from our fathers than any human being can actually live up to. And um, I, I have a little perspective um, that I used to think that every man uh, deep down wanted to be a good father and, uh, and wants to be. But as I look at our culture and our society um, and see the choices and the values change, um, sometimes I wonder if that's true. And the distinction that I would make, though, is that I do believe that every uh, person wants to either have had a good father or they had one. So let me clarify. That distinction is every person either wants to have had a good father or actually had one. And so how that impacts us is significant. You know, Billy Graham once said that a good father is one of the most unsung unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Sociologists tell us that fatherlessness is the leading indicator of poverty, abuse, drug addiction, suicide, and many other problems that we face as a society. So you can see that the significance Uh, of the role of the father is massive in our lives individually and as a culture. And one other stat I want to give to you is that 
we, we read that children raised in a fatherless home are five times more likely to live in poverty, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to spend time in jail. So that impact is significant. Now these are numbers and everyone's different and many people have overcome different obstacles, but um, what I wanna talk about is that we have a nonprofit organization that my son and I co-founded called generosity.org and, and our mission is breaking the cycle of poverty, restoring dignity, and inspiring dreams. So the reason I'm saying that is today, let's just try to break the cycle of poverty in our thinking, in our beliefs, and restore some dignity in our life around the role and the impact of fathers in our life. Um, I think that there is a spiritual battle going on in our world and maybe even a cultural war regarding men and, and specifically fathers, so this is a significant uh, topic. So a parable that Jesus told, and a parable is simply a story that Jesus made up and created for the purpose of communicating um, truth about the kingdom of God and how we live. And so there's a, a, a parable that he told that we call the prodigal son. Jesus didn't call it that. We call it that. My opinion is we misnamed it. To me, the, product, the, the parable should be called the, the parable of the Father's heart. And so I'll t show you why that. For those of you that may have not heard that parable, that story, I'll give you the, the short version. And then we'll dig into it a little bit. So there are two sons living with their dad. They're living a good life. And one son comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance now before the dad dies. And so he takes his money, takes what's his, and he leaves, goes out on his own, wastes all the money, and then returns home in shame. So uh, the other son had stayed home with the father all this time. And so when he watches the father see the returning son and run and embraces him with joy and celebration, you know, the, the second son is angry and he doesn't want to be part of the celebration. So that's the, the simple version of the story. Now, let's just take a closer look at some of the dynamics here that are important to us. And son number one, the younger son, he takes his inheritance. This is, what an insulting thing to say to the father. He's like, I don't want to wait till you die. I want your stuff now. <laughs> and so uh, at the very base, that's what he's saying. And so he takes his money and leaves. And so it's an insult, it's a shame, it's embarrassing. And so then he moves to L.A. You know, he's going to go have a good time. He's going to clubs, he's picking up the tab in restaurants, he's following his dream. You know, and on Instagram, he's living his best life. He's like, he's like, hey, you know, I'm having a great time. But eventually, he runs out of money, he wastes all of his money, and he loses friends. He's in a terrible situation, and he realizes he has to make some changes. So after he fails, he realizes he has to return 
home. He has to return to that relationship with his father, and he has to admit his failures. He's got to come face to face with his shame. And so in his head, he prepares a speech. And it's a story that he tells himself. It's a story that we'll see he begins to tell his father. And so let's pick this up now in Luke chapter 15. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And with verse 20, it says, While he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. That was before social distancing is important. (laughs) So his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. True. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. This is where the story goes off. But in verse 22, we see his father said to the servants, Quick. Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is fine. So the party began. That's one of my favorite parts of the scripture. So the party began. Our father likes uh, to party, likes to have a good time. So what we see here is the son comes with a story, and it's a story he's telling himself. But the father's story is bigger than the son's story. The father's story is greater than the son's story, and um, the dad rewrites this whole story by his grace, by his love, by his compassion. And it's interesting to note that it says that the father uh, ran to him. And from what I've read in that culture, rich people, people of means, didn't run anywhere. They don't run. Other people run. Like rich people don't have to hurry to get to the meeting because the meeting doesn't start till they get there. And so when, um, when we think about this, the only Bible, place in the Bible that I can think of that God runs anywhere is in this story right here, the parable of the heart of the father, prodigal son story. And so he runs and embraces him. And it's important for us to recognize that that is the posture of our father in heaven toward us. This young man to this young man who was uh, controlled and, and weighed down with shame to him, the name Father was another name for love. And to me, the story means that God is deeply passionate about you and me. He's deeply moved by love for us, and he loves us thoroughly. So now we take a look at son number two. He's the older son. And and it's interesting to note that two people can be raised in the same house with the same parents and come out completely different. Don't look at anybody or nudge or anything like that, but maybe somebody comes to your mind. (laughs) So in this story, the father is celebrating one thing, but the older brother is focused on the failure of his younger brother. And so 
when the party's going on, we pick up this story in verse 28, and it says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And the father came out to him, just like he went to the younger son. He came out to the older son and he begged him. And he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. So I want to stop there and take a look at a couple of things. And one thing is every one of us is impacted by comparison meaning that we compare ourselves with other people, with other people's situations and circumstances. It's human nature. And I imagine there's something good somewhere in comparison because we might learn something about ourselves or things that we could do better. But mostly it doesn't serve us well because you'll always see somebody who's better than you in some way or their life situation turns out different when you look at my situation versus your situation, there will always be something that's unfair or unjust. And just think of whatever your greatest strength is, there's probably someone better at it. And so comparison gets in and sort of shifts our interpretation of the story. And I love this, this one. I've got to look this, verse, this uh, word up in the Greek, and, but in this version, he says, all this time... Uh, I slaved for you. All the other versions that I remember said, I served you. I guess when you get offended, you can go from being a servant to a slave in your story. But I mean, I don't know. I have to check out what that word means, but it stuck out to me. But I did notice that all of a sudden, this guy who used to be his brother is now the son of yours. So the point, he starts to distance himself from others who are, don't live up to our standard. And there's something off in the heart. So both sons were raised in the same house. And let me tell you, both sons' heart was far from what the father's heart was. They were in different locations. They went through different experiences. But if the older son who was there, who went to church every week, even after the others didn't come to church anymore, they were faithful. They didn't, he didn't have the heart of the father. So when those, that son came, comes back, he's judging, he's jealous, he's hateful. There's an interesting phenomenon in our world today, and uh, it's called the, the cancel culture. And uh, I don't know what that means to you, and it might have more political implications than I'm aware of, but I just think it's an interesting dynamic socially, the cancel culture, because... It's usually directed at an individual or an organization that either believes something or said something or did something that is different than the values that one person has. And so we boycott them. And so we boycott people in this cancel culture. But when we do that, often we don't have the full story. We've just got a version of the story. And I get it if somebody is, stands up for something that you're not for and you say, well, I'm not going to be involved with that so much. But what happens in this culture that we're in today 
it, it can evolve into this mob of, of uh, bullying people. So in other words, what it's become uh, is that it's not only like, well, that person who's a singer, for instance, he, he believes this or that, so I don't think I'm going to listen to his music much anymore. And so that's fine. That's your decision. But what happens is, is like, now, I'm not listening to his music, and if you listen to his music, then you're as bad as he is. So now it's like, hey, I'm woke to injustice so I can be as judgmental as I want to be. But here is what this son forgot, is that the father said, everything I have is yours. Somehow there was a disconnect in his heart, just like in the younger brother. This love of our father is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to comprehend, but we need to experience the love of God. We must find a way to experience the love of our father that is so much part of this story. And I believe as human beings, we, we struggle with embracing God's love for us. Sometimes, even for me as a pastor or leader, I, it's easier for me to accept God's love for someone else than it is for me sometimes in those secret places of my heart. I've been reading uh, one of my favorite authors and Christian leaders has uh, passed away now, but Henry Nowen, I've listened to many and read many of his books and he talks about our identity and our value intimately connected to how we relate to the Father's love. And so for the rest of this message, I just want to bring up a couple of, of thoughts that surround this love of the Father. And so I just came up with this uh, heading of lies that we believe. Maybe it's, it's ideas that we believe. And, and one idea that human beings hold on to is, is this idea of I am what I have. So that means that I feel better about myself. I feel like I'm more valuable when I have better clothes, a, a house, or a car, or things that I can purchase. Great looking kicks, you know, shoes that stand out, you know, the latest Nikes, whatever it is. So we begin to assess our value by what we have. I have a business, I have a family, I have health. But sometimes we find ourselves navigating through this and when others succeed secretly, we get a little frustrated rather than rejoice for them about their blessing because somehow we think if they have more than I have, they will be more valuable. Because if I had more, I would be more valuable. See, and Jesus held on to the voice of his father and the realization, the revelation that he was the loved son of God. He was a loved, beloved child of God. So you and I have to live our life out of the revelation, the experience of that we are the loved sons and daughters of God. You see, and he embraced that this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. And so the demons of temptation came to Jesus in the wilderness and tried to get Jesus to act contrary to his father's provision and to slip into that area of life where so many of us live to focus on things or status 
or popularity. So the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. You'll have it all. So he was trying to feed that, I am what I have. And Jesus said, no, thank you. A second idea, a belief that we have is that I am what I do. Meaning that I do good deeds, I do good things, then I feel good about myself. Uh, if I've, accomp I've accomplished these things, I, I uh, started this nonprofit, I'm a pastor of this church and we do these things and, and it somehow shapes my value and it's, it's good to do good things, but is it right to say I am what I do? I'm a businessman, I'm a father, I'm a, a leader, I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor of a small church, I'm a pastor of a big church. Does one have more value than the other? We would never answer that truthfully on a test, but secretly, the one with the bigger business, the one with the bigger church, is more valuable in some way. And so the devil says to Jesus, turn the bread into stone, do this thing, and then you will prove to me that you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, turn this bread into stone because you are what you do. And Jesus said, no thank you, no thank you. And then this other idea is, I am what others say about me. How crippling this can be to us in understanding the love of God. I am what others say about me. So if you're an employer, if your employees like you, or if you're, um, you know, uh, do they lie, say you're a good employer or a bad one? You know, are you a good leader? Or, uh, there's a popularity. If you're popular, it's I am what others people say I am. And it's, I remember as a pastor preaching every week that when people would come up after service and say, that was a great sermon, you did a great job, then I felt good about myself because um, I am what people say about me. But then that one person would come and say, I thought what you said was stupid. You know, I, it, it didn't make any sense. I don't believe all that stuff. So the next three days, who did I think about? I thought about the one person that said the negative thing than the 10 uh, that said great things. Because somehow in our soul, as human beings, we really put a lot on what people have to say about us. Somebody said, I'm offended by what you said, or, or somebody speaks behind our back, talks bad about us. You know, people like to assign us to a group. You know, we categorize each other. So when we say, uh, oh, you're, you're an artist, or you're a businessman, you're a genius, you're, you know, you're uh, a liberal, you're a conservative, you're evangelical, you're this or that. We, we put people in a, a, a category so we can sort of understand them a little bit. But what happens is that in doing that, we lessen our ability to understand people because we put them in this little category. And... Um, you know, uh, popularity is powerful in our world today. And uh, you might even know someone who has a public image, but your personal experience with them is very different. 
They're deemed valuable in the public eye. But you're thinking, there's something off here because I know it's different. And so there's a lot of value in that. And so the devil says to Jesus, if you jump down, everyone will see you when the angels scoop you up. And then they will all say you're from God because everybody will say the right thing. But you see, in the life of Jesus, people praised him and they rejected him. People followed him and people mocked him. People cried, Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. People say a lot of different things. And if we live our life with the value of I am what people say I, uh, by what I do or what people say about me or I am by what I have, then we will find ourselves living a life up and down because sometimes we have more and sometimes we have less. Sometimes we are satisfied with what we have and then we see others that have more so then we become dissatisfied and we live a life of up and down and we like ourselves and we don't and we love ourselves and we think God does. And, but when we do good and we think God's pleased with me and then when I don't do as good, maybe he's not so pleased with me. We find ourselves living in that zone where the older brother and the younger brother lived and they miss the heart of the Father. A lot of our energy in life goes into these things, but these things are always changing. And when I lose that quality of I am a loved son of God, I can slip into a dark place. I can find myself in a place of discouragement or despair or hopelessness. And it's as if that voice that once declared, you are my son and I love you, is now reduced to a whisper in my heart, struggling. It's reduced to being a distant memory. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I need to do more. I need to be more. And this is a place of struggle. And so as you walk out your journey of faith, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to learn to embrace, learn to experience the love of your Father, because that's what that story is all about, full of compassion, full of love. You are a son and a daughter of God. And before I pray in closing this message, I would like to talk to some of you today that maybe you're you're watching on a laptop or you're in somebody's home with some friends you're watching this service and and maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ maybe you you've heard about him you've heard from others but you've never personally made the decision every individual of us needs to say I want to put my faith in Jesus so that we can become one of his children the scripture tells us, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Today, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can have access to the love of the Father through Jesus. And if you've never put your faith in him, just follow in this simple prayer and pray something like this in your heart. God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus, even when I didn't deserve it. And today I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior 
and my Lord, I thank you for my forgiveness. And today, I'm going to live for you, God, as my Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. That prayer has changed the lives of millions of people. A prayer something like that. And I know that God wants to begin something powerful in your life today. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.